Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. I know people are joining us from all over the world. Happy New Year. This is Toyin Yumesiri, and I'd like to welcome you to my Tuesday Live with Toyin. And today I have a very special guest for you. Let me bring him on. Hi, John. Hey. <laughs> so, wow, John is a very, very dear friend to me. I'm going to officially introduce him in a moment, but he's, he's the best. He's, he's, when it comes to African affairs in DC, John has been, he's a veteran, he's been out there, but let me officially introduce him. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited today for our conversation. So John Rosenberg um, is the founder of the Rosalind Group. It's a lobbyist firm out of DC, um, Washington DC here in the US. He's, um, a prominent leader when it comes to African affairs in Washington, D.C. Um, he has been an architect, an important architect across broad spectrum of issues um, concerning the African continent, including politics, security, development, and trade. And I always joke with John, I say, oh my gosh, I know you've served in the Pentagon. I really don't know what you used to do there. And I really mean it. Yeah. <laughs> John has been, you know, he's one of those people when it comes to, um, you know, when there are elections, he's one of those people that, you know, go in there to monitor elections. So I, I'm just so excited. I feel honored. And um, so thank you so much, John, for joining us. Say hello to the, um, you know, people joining us. It's always good to be here. Yeah. And uh, it was earlier this month I was in Miami. Well, I was actually there twice this month, but uh, I was listening to one of your programs when I was walking around. Oh, was most enjoyable. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Oh, and, and I, I said I had a surprise for you before we, we started. So for those who may not have joined us back in August, so John was one of our honorable guest speakers for the Trade with Africa Business Summit that we held virtually in August. And he made some predictions. <laughs> that was back in August. And I have a clip. So let me set the stage. So this was, we had these amazing speakers from all over the world. But John was so, was so nice to me. You were traveling, I believe, to North Carolina. In order for you to join the call, you actually parked your car, you found a nice spot, and you joined us virtually, right? So I'm going to play a clip. For you. Yes, thank you so much. So I'm <laughs> going to play a clip right now, and we're going to come back and talk about that clip, okay? <laughs> you know, I was happy to see the, uh, the judge somewhat dressed up here as well. I went out of my way. <laughs> I'm supposed to be this influential lobbyist. I didn't want to be wearing Bob Marley t-shirt and shorts in presentation. So I, I put on my Washington DC suit just for you guys. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I'll probably switch back since I've been a rest area right uh, when we're concluded here. But uh, okay, so President-elect Joe Biden, what's no. the... What's the landscape going to look like? This is a parlor game we play every four years in Washington. It doesn't matter if uh, we're coming into a second term of a presidency or a first term. And I don't think I'm going out on much of a limb here by saying Joe Biden's going to be the next president. Could be wrong. I'm wrong quite a lot. But again, we, we play this game every four years. So what does it mean? How is uh, how is the engagement going to change internationally and with Africa and 
it seems to be the same wish list every four years. And I've written the same articles myself. We have to do this, should do that, should focus more on this. We have to do more trade. Frankly, nothing much really ever happens. My guess is Kamala Harris is gonna be the vice presidential pick. And that would be my pick too. I just sense that that's the winning ticket. You know, again, these are all parlor games. Who knows what's gonna happen? John, you were right. Spot on. Spot on on both your predictions. Sometimes so, I'm right. <laughs> you were right on Joe Biden being the next president-elect. You were also right on his vice president pick because this was back in August where um, these decisions weren't yet made. So what do you think about that? It was, uh, again, I'm not surprised that uh, the ticket won, but... Uh, my, my God, what a, what a turnout there was, 150 million plus people. I mean, just staggering amount of turnout. But I was surprised, and I was wrong here, that, uh, you know, we didn't gain in the House. And I thought for sure the Senate would turn, and that did not happen. So, yeah, can't be right about everything. John, your crystal, your crystal balls, they're really spot on. <laughs> um, one of the questions I have today is like, what's the temp? temperature like you know with this new transition we we all you know watch the news we see all the you know what's going on out there but you are very very close to what's going on i remember um you know a couple of years ago when it was being transitioned to trump you and i spoke and you basically also shared so much privately with me in terms of what that transition really means for the city right and for politics in general so what do, what do you think right now what's going on there well, it's going to be back to business as usual to some degree. I mean, it's the same cast of characters uh, for the most part that we've seen before, and that's uh, that's both good and bad. Mm -hmm. it, it provides some certainty, of course, uh, but uh, frankly, I get tired of the same old people over and over and over again, and I was kind of hoping that Biden might uh, mix it up a bit, and there have mm -hmm. been some interesting choices like uh, the U.N., uh, um, rep, Ms. Greenfield, and that's a uh, positive for Africa, you know, given her background as a former assistant secretary of state for Africa. But, you know, by and large, it's the same old crew. And uh, things are still developing. I mean, the 117th Congress just kicked off Sunday. Uh, Pelosi got reelected. Too bad we couldn't have had some changes there. We just need some new blood, but uh, younger people, I think, too. But yeah, by and large, it's a uh, uh, strange time. I mean, we should be in full transition gear, right? Instead, we're going on with this mess uh, with the games that Trump is playing and <laughs> it's hurting the national security of this country too by you know they're not transitioning properly in the state department and the defense department and uh, so yeah it's it's I, hopefully once we're beyond january 20th things will go back to some kind of normalcy yes and how has the last what changed the last three four years right what what's what changed because you remember I think the entire city changed. <laughs> I think the entire city changed and people were flustered. Is that true? 
The what has changed? When it comes to the lobbying landscape, things shifted the last three, four years, correct? Well, there, there too, it goes back to uh, kind of normalcy where it's you know, the same players, but uh, it, the good lobbying firms, it doesn't matter who's in who's in uh, control of Congress, who's uh, in the White House. And uh, I, I think of myself as being adaptable. I mean, I did quite well under Trump. Uh, it was a disaster for the country, but uh, decent for those of us who had some uh, means of accessing that that White House. But uh, yeah, it, it'll be a it'll be a reshuffling somewhat. Uh, people scramble to uh, get Democrats on board. Wonderful. And let me shift gears a little bit. Um, I don't know if you're following like the um, Continental Free Trade Agreement, the African one. I, I personally feel like there was a lot of skepticism <laughs> in terms of will the Africans pull it off? What does it mean? And it's here. January 1, trade started. I mean, there's still a lot of work when it comes to implementation. But what's years your of work, yeah. Years of work, right? But how, how did DC, how did the US handle that? How do they see it? Everyone's excited about it in my world that, uh, with whom I interact. I'm a skeptic and uh, without any apology, I'm skeptical, but uh, it'll, it'll take a long time before it really takes off. But yeah, it was a good start to the new year, right? I mean, uh, first it was good to just get rid of 2020 and <laughs> just get rid of the, those numbers. And uh, after January 20th, again, uh, maybe some sense of normalcy here, but uh, but in my world, yeah, people are taking it seriously as new ways of uh, uh, accessing Africa. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but it's just going to take years till these border situations and all the customs and all that gets sorted out. Yes, yes. And, and also, Kenya-U.S. relations within the context of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. That was kind of like a, an interesting one where the continent was moving forward with AFCFTA and, you know, U.S. kind of tried to, I mean, it, it makes sense for U.S., but for, for Kenya, it was also good because not just um, was Kenyan leadership working on a trade, um, you know, bilateral trade with U.S., they also pulled one off with the U.K., um, what's your take on that? As we've discussed many times, you're more of the trade person. So I guess your insights would be better on that. Uh, Kenya was a logical choice, of course. Uh, uh, just in a, as a quick aside, one thing's change the topic quickly. One of the things I've been doing has been arranging, facilitating phone calls between not just African, but other world leaders, presidents, prime ministers with the, uh, President-elect Trump and Kenya's Biden, one. You mean Biden? Uh, Biden, Biden. Okay. Uh, Uhuru is one that uh, uh, was working on getting uh, a phone call worked out, but uh, they were just kind of dragging their feet. Same with uh, the Congo and some other places. So that's, and now Biden's no longer taking these phone calls. Mm. Uh, he's too busy with COVID and, everything else. But yeah, in terms of that, I mean, again, your insights are better than mine, but uh, what's your take on it? Well, I think it's good for US to really get that market 
like just get one big market um, with a great relationships and US companies can use that as a launch pad. Really, that's the way I see it. It used to be South Africa, right? Um, South Africa for the last, you know, 15, 20 years was always the, oh, Africa. It was almost like South Africa was synonymous to Africa. <laughs> like if you had an office in South Africa, everybody felt like they had conquered Africa, not realizing that was just one country within the 55 countries, it right? Used to be, it used to be you'd go to the Africa section in a bookstore and that's all it was was South Africa apartheid books. You couldn't get anything on Nkrumah or anywhere else. But yeah, you're right. Right. So, so for me, several things are happening at the same time. There is more competition on the continent. When you think about what Ghana, the moves Ghana is making, right, diplomatically with being the secretariat for the AFCFTA. So now Ghana is the player when it comes to African relations in terms of um, under the Continental Free Trade Agreement, because that's where the secretariat is, right? That was a huge move. Think about what Rwanda is doing, not just as a small country, but it, it has to do with leadership, right? Paul Kagame and what he has done, um, you know, in terms of just solidifying. Personally, what I've heard about the vision for um, Rwanda is they want to be the Singapore of Africa. So um, I see a lot of leadership positioning, um, strategic play on the continent. Um, you think about Morocco being a launch pad into um, Europe. Um, um, remember back in August, we had the, um, you know, managing director for the African um, American Morocco Chamber um, out of Morocco share with us that, and I've seen that on the news the last couple of weeks with what US, there's a lot of investment going into Morocco out of Prosper Africa as well. So you see all those strategic play. So one of the things I try to say is, um, in, in the past, people would have a US South Africa engagement now you need to start looking at the continent holistically and not just country by country that's that's my take morocco is kind of an interesting entry point for the continent uh you know it's really north africa middle east but uh, even mexico a few years back opened up their first uh commercial office in on the african continent they went to morocco Yes, and and one news that one thing new that came to that I came to know back in August was the fact that they don't have, you know, like they are, they're not blessed like the natural resources like Nigeria with oil, but they have the largest solar farm in the world in Morocco. So they're not doing bad and manufacturing to manufacturing orb as well. Um, just, I'm also just went online, right? Yes, yes, and also Mauritius, I've been in touch with Mauritius, they're really pushing really hard on their manufacturing. Um, they are actually one of the top exporter into South Africa. So there's just so many amazing things I'm seeing going on that gets me excited. And what I would say is, I don't think it's going to be business as usual anymore. Um, because when you think about COVID as well, COVID has disrupted the, um, the continent when it comes to commodity prices. And everybody's like, okay, value addition. We can't keep doing what we used to do before. So it's kind of like game on. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting to watch what's going on. Mauritius, you mentioned, uh, it's a place that's always been intriguing to me. I have yet to ever travel there. But they've really been hit hard of late. Uh, 
COVID came down hard, and then of course it killed their tourism industry, and now two two shipwrecks with uh, all that spilled oil. Yep, yep. Okay, so yeah, let, let's let's shift a little bit to one of your specialties, <laughs> security. You know, when you think about American interest on the continent, um, a lot of it also has to do with security, right? So. What's your take right now when you think about northern Nigeria, when you think about what's going on with in Ethiopia? Um, what's ju just your general outlook out there? You know, it's funny. Just, uh, what, seven years ago or so, we were extolling how great it was that Africa was largely at peace. And it was for the first time in our lifetimes that uh, things were in such a positive direction. And now, all of a sudden, it's... Uh, it's hair raising uh, what's going on across the Sahel and Nigeria, you mentioned. Uh, who knows what's going to happen there with Ethiopia and Egypt? I mean, can you imagine them going to war? It's just uh, it's crazy. And who, who foresaw? I mean, at least I didn't. Uh, what's going on in Ethiopia internally? I mean, it's. Uh, it just seems like the continent has gone backwards in a big way. Uh, instability in Mozambique as a country that should be prospering. And uh, that's still unfortunately going to remain, I think, the United States' primary focus is security. And that's something the Africans have com been complaining about for years, is that that's the only lens through which yeah. the U.S. sees them. And it needs to be more about trade and the like. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate. And it, it's, almost a throwback to the Cold War, too, with all these uh, proxy uh, armies like in Libya and all these other players from the UAE to China to Russia uh, playing their games in Africa without any restraint. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's, that's the biggest concern I have is when you think about the chessboard, right? There's no checkmate. There's no... There's no, um, I would have expected like the African Union to probably do some checkmating, but but that's my own concern is what's, what's, what's the checkmate? What's going to um, basically, you know, keep this in check? Um, that's, that's the biggest concern I have. I don't see, uh, and, and that's really, US would have played that role under different administration. But I think the last couple of years with British exits, the Europeans have been have had their own their own issues they had to contend with. And with US under the Trump presidency, there's been, I mean, internal, internal um priority issues. And I think the last three, four years, that's where this has all has actually happened, where there's been no check of um, what's going on. And that's that's one of my concerns. And even under the AFCFTA, one of the things I say is um, when you look at what happened a couple of months ago or a year ago, I think, with xenophobia attacks in in South Africa, part of what I would love to see as part of the AFCFTA is who's going to be held accountable, okay? If you're saying, okay, we want to trade as one African market and say Nigerians go into Ghana and establish businesses and then something flares up and you lose life or property and all of those things. What's the plan? How do you come up with restitution and all of those things? Those are some, some of the things I see um, that has to be buttoned up um, in the future. 
maybe not now, but. And, and here's where I'd like to see the Africans stepping forward and doing these things on their own rather than going to, you know, the Hague and having these outside uh, uh, operators. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite encouraging. Uh, African institutions are quite strong in many cases to handle a lot of these issues. Yes, well, in the past, Nigeria had, a, I mean, Nigeria has played a huge, huge role over the years, um, not now, but in the past, when it comes to um, stability and all of those things and sending troops in and all of that. But in the in the recent years, um, Nigeria, even with, with what's happening in the northern, northern part of Nigeria, um, they've, they've not played that um, every big brother role that they used to play. So that's something to watch. <laughs> that's something I'm watching as well. Chad is another place I always watch carefully because they have one of the most uh, capable of militaries um, on the continent, actually. And uh, just the instability in that region is just every day. I'm sure you get your African news feed. Many of the, the, the listeners here probably do, too, just like I do. And it's just every day. It's 53 killed in Niger. It's, uh, you know, 70 people killed in Central African Republic and uh, Chad and just uh, northern Nigeria. It's just on and on and on. It's just uh, it's it's not a tinderbox. It's already on fire. Well, but one of the things that you and I are able to do that most people cannot do is not not able to separate. We are able to separate, you know, the continent is quite large. It's just like the U.S. When you think about all the things happening in the U.S. or Chicago, there are things happening every day. But how do you separate all of those, all of the negative news? And also, it's almost like a polarity. All of this can be true, yet you can also see advancement in trade, in investment. You can also see growth in that space. And I think that's one of the complexities in handling Africa, that an average person is not able to hold those two polarities to, to see that both things can be true at the same time. I think that's one of the challenges. And then also the Africans not managing the press, not managing the, um, how do I say it? Not the PR. Brand, the PR, right? not managing the stories that get told out there to, to be able to say, okay, there are negative things coming out, but what are the positive things that businesses and um, executives might be interested in to say, oh, the entire continent, a billion people, that it's, it's, it's not, it's one side of the coin. Tell us the other side of the um, African conversation when but it comes you know, to commerce. This, this is an age old problem that it just, it goes on and on and on. I've been following Africa since I was a child. <laughs> and it's just it's the same narrative. It's like all these negative, 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 you know, starvation and they need help and all negative stories. How do we get out the good stories? It, it, it's hard. Well, you know, as a former journalist, you know, let's face it, negative news sells. It's probably the Africans' fault too. Like I said, uh, like you said, you know, to some degree, and not being able to manage their own narrative. And uh, you know, it's a little distracting here, but it's so helpful to look at the uh, the comments. Oh, you see the comments. I gotta get to Someone made a really great point here. Uh, Nigerian diaspora needs to come to the fore under a Biden presidency, given the huge success of Nigerians in the United States. I mean, 
right on point. I mean, 100% right on point. Uh, the Nigerians have just, the Nigerian community here in the United States is uh, one of the most successful, uh, highly educated, uh, high home ownership rates, very active in uh, civil life. And maybe it's, it's up to like uh, the diaspora communities to set the record straight somewhat. Um, yeah. that are going on in the continent. It is a challenge. Everything you said is true. Plus, personally, what I found is they are, they, are, they are not as engaged in community engagement, politics, all of that. That's the challenge. In terms of the economic power, individually, um, Nigerian diaspora, they are very powerful individually, but as a collective group, they're not carrying their weight. They're not coming together. Um, they're not mobilizing their resources. And when you think about even investment back to Nigeria, um, do, do you know that remittances from the diaspora actually <laughs> is much more than the budget itself? So, so they, they do, as a collective group, they are extremely powerful. Part of the challenges, and last week, one of my speakers, we did talk about this in terms of community engagement, um, you know, pulling together as a force. Think about, um, you know, I, I think it's okay for us to talk about your role uh, when it comes to um, Biden and supporting the transition team. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, <laughs> Maybe uh, you don't. I was thinking a lot during what you were just saying there, but yes. Uh, yes. I, I, was, I was thinking too how your perspective on the Nigerian diaspora is different from mine, but I guess I'm in my own little world here. Where I'm oh, dealing, with, I'm dealing with uh, Nigerians who are very active politically, and uh, ah, that's interesting. So okay, so what I'm seeing here is within the DC, the Nigerians may be more active, but from my lens in terms of trade, commerce, community engagement outside of DC, I'm not seeing that that level of engagement. Could that be the situation? Yeah, you're you're in Chicago and seeing America outside the beltway. And, uh, you know, I got on to the Biden uh, campaign at the very end, uh, Africa Working Group. And one of the last events that was held during the campaign was uh, uh, a fundraiser with the uh, African diaspora across the United States. And it, it, was, it was a good fundraiser, did well. But the Nigerians, of course, were instrumental in that. So I just kind of see it in a different light. And yes, it's both true. We are powerful. <laughs> you know, I, I know I know our capacity is massive. And that's why I think for me, I want to see more. Right. I want to see more as a political force, as an economic force in America, for example. That's what I would want to see. Oh. So. Yeah. One thing I would encourage everyone to uh, Google and look into in my home state of Minnesota, uh, the African people have, uh, uh, citizens, U.S. citizens have become very active politically. In fact, in uh, about 18 miles from my hometown is a kind of a sister city, uh, a 28 year old Ethiopian guy, young guy, obviously, uh, ran for city council and won. And I'm so excited by that. And of course, we have uh, Representative Omar. Uh, but all across Minnesota, 
it's you know it's all germanic and scandinavian people like me historically you have this african influx and the people are participating and it's exciting i'm really happy that uh, like the young man stood for office and uh, actually won a town Yay. of 25,000 people it's almost all white Yes, and, and during Chicago, um, Amara um, ran for mayor of Chicago the last round. So I, I and that we need more of that. It's not enough. <laughs> it's very exciting. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I'm super excited as well. I think it's a great time. I, I like to say it's a great time to be African. I'm what telling are, what you. Are you. What are you running for the U.S. Senate? <laughs> Thank you, John. Thank you. No plans. I want to make some money. <laughs> Durbin is not uh, retiring anytime soon. Uh, no, I want to Congress. make money, John. I want to make money. I'm a businesswoman. First, let's make money. Let's she do would deal. be a great candidate, right? Everyone listening? <laughs> no, no, thank you. <laughs> for now, let's if you want to in right trade, here and now for Congress. John, if you want to do trade, if you want to buy, if you want to sell, if you want to do it at scale, Check on me. Politics, talk to John. He's your guy. <laughs> well, you were, asking, you were asking earlier about uh, Biden and uh, the sense here. and We got, got off on the diaspora conversation, which is good. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, uh, Africa is going to remain like it always has, just uh, not even on the back burner, just an afterthought. It's, that's not going to change. I mean so much going on in the world with uh, COVID and now one of the things, uh, of course, that, that, that huge cybersecurity breach is, it's just uh, gone through the U.S. government like a bolt of electricity, uh, such a wake-up call. Uh, and I don't, I don't know that we can even really defend ourselves against this in the future, but uh, we don't know the extent of the damage. But uh, uh, one place I'm also looking at from a business standpoint is uh, Taiwan. Mm. I'm not all about Africa. I do work with the rest of the globe, but uh, you know, what can happen there? Uh, war with China, it's, it's hair racing to think of the consequences. And, you know, you have Russia and so many things that are front and center right now that Africa is still going to remain kind of an afterthought. And that's just, we're going to have to live with that. Yeah. So I think it would be good in a way that it actually gives Africans um, an opportunity to craft their own future, to be in charge of their own future. Because I actually feel like the AFCFTA moved really fast because there were, there were limited um, interferences externally. Right? Oh, Africa always has that external pressure. It has always had that. So in a way, I would want to see Africa play a, a front role, but there's also advantage when it comes to, you know, strategy where people don't know your moves. Think about China today, right? If China showed all its cards 20, 30 years ago, China would not be China today. Um, they play the game, and I tell Africans, we need to. You don't need to tell, every, say everything out there in terms of your moves. Think about where China is today. Thirty years ago, you know, people were like, "Oh, China, mm, okay." Well, I think I think Deng Xiaoping is the most underestimated and perhaps the greatest figure of the 20th century. I mean, it doesn't have 
I'm not saying he's good. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And even for me, I've seen it even in my world that there's power in being underestimated. I've been underestimated, John. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard to believe. But as someone who has lived in China and I've traveled quite extensively, uh, I, I haven't been there now for about 10 years. And from what I see on TV and online and the like, it's it's already just changed dramatically in just those 10 years since 10 I was years. Right there. Right. So I think I think for Africans, I don't think they need to worry too much about everybody clapping for them yet. I think they should just keep moving forward with their strategy under the EFCFTA. I think they should have a solid export development strategy, um, the right market entry strategy. I also talk about AGOA, you know, AGOA. So part of the reason I've gotten so involved with EFCFTA is because when I think about AGOA, African Growth and Opportunity Act, for those who are watching and may not know that, this is a US policy that has been on the books for over 20 years. Since and it has been- administration. I'm sorry? Since the Clinton administration. Exactly. And what it, what it did was open the U.S. market to over 6,000 products coming from sub-Saharan Africa, free of duty and without quota, which is almost equivalent to what we're talking about when it comes to the AFCFTA, lowering barriers or eliminating tariff. And what I would say is the non-tariff barriers like standardization, all of those things are even more work. They are hurdles that have to be overcome. So... For me, I say Agoa, you didn't win when it came to Agoa. You did not maximize it. Certain countries like Kenya benefited, but certain countries like Nigeria barely, barely even scratched the surface, right? So even though AFCFTA is in the books on paper, if the private sector is not engaged, if they are not trained, if they don't understand export development or market entry, it's just on paper. So that's one of the reasons I've developed training. I've been, you've probably seen all of the interesting things like business coaching, expert development. It's because I've seen what Agoa, the opportunity on that Agoa was never maximized because we missed all of that training, and capacity you, development. Well, and then you have spoken of this uh, at great length uh, on many occasions. It's just people don't know about it, nor do they know about uh, the mechanisms that are in place within the U.S. government uh, assist trade and encourage trade and support trade people don't that's, know about it it's back to messaging and that's it so i've, I've brought in department of state i've brought in ex exim bank export import bank i've brought in us USTDA, usaid that's one of the reasons i established the trade with africa business summit was was exactly what you just described that there were mechanisms there were resources there were instruments there was support already in place, <laughs> like already in place to support an advanced trade with Africa. But as I sat in the, the private sector in corporate America, buyers did not know about Agoa, neither did they know how to use it. And every year you have the Agoa Forum where US political and African politics politicians come together, they sit at the table and they're like, Agoa, yes, Agoa, what does it mean? How are we not performing? And I'm, and I'm sitting in, in the private system going, you don't have a buyer, you don't have a seller, you don't have the financing institutions in the room and you think you want to do trade, good luck with that. That's, 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 yeah. my, that's my concern. This is not, you know, when the politics, when policy is in place, the next set of engagement is private sector. And we, when we miss that, nothing happens. 
that's that's my observation. And this too is just something we've been talking about ad nauseum for years and years and years. I mean, it's just uh, yeah, people are not aware of these opportunities and. Right. It's, always, it's always something we're talking about. Yeah, increased trade. Yeah. yeah. Others I'm are good. beating the, the pants off the United States and Africa. I mean, it's crazy. Turkey's almost caught up with us in terms of uh, trade with Africa. I mean, it's, it's astonishing how uh, that's that's one com- country I've been watching quite carefully the past number of years. And just uh, they're mopping up. I mean, and Erdogan himself and the, the foreign minister, they're always, always, always going to Africa on these missions, uh, visiting three, four or five countries at a time and signing deals, bringing along their construction companies. And, you know, you just don't see that from the United States. I mean, I wouldn't expect Trump and Obama or anyone to be like constantly going to Africa. It's just, uh, but still, we're not doing that. And other countries are. Yeah, you remember a long time ago, was it you that was talking about people moving to London to get closer to Africa? Like businesses that wanted to trade with Africa, they were finding that they needed to move their, their offices. They had to open an office in London. Just I would to go to Dubai, there. but yeah. Yeah, Dubai, London. Yeah. And now Turkey, Turkey's starting to usurp uh, Dubai in terms of banking and the like. It's starting to become a, a big center. So maybe wow. go to Turkey if you want to. Wow. I don't know. Wow. So let's see. There's been a lot of comments. Let's let's try and pull in some. Wow. Thank you, everyone. I like, I like the one about Ezekiel. Okay, which one? <laughs> I usually go down. I like um, historical. Okay, yeah. Adetunji said um Dr. Namdi Zikwe arrived in US in 1925 and attended Lincoln University, and so did Kweme Nkrumah. How come the Lincoln University has not produced more ammonization? Avad seems to be taking the lead. I thought uh, I thought uh, Nakuma went to uh, Princeton or Harvard, but mm. must be wrong. Yeah, um, back in o- October, when I had the um, World Bank Chief Economist on Africa, the EFCFT roundtable, you know, part of his opening speech was about Nkrumah and the former president of Ghana and their vision for, you know, developing um, intra-African trade. So that's that's interesting um, in terms of, you know, the big thinkers. I think we need more big thinkers um, when it comes to you know, like like visionaries. <laughs> we need more visionaries like that. Here's a good one. Uh, okay. What does John think about African ambassadors who are in Western capitals? You know, there's a saying here. Where, mm-hmm. What are we up to? 30, 50, 54 nations of Africa now with the South Sudan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have 54 ambassadors here and they're all on vacation. That's the, the saying here about African ambassadors. It's not 100% true. I mean, uh, there are some who are very dynamic and and uh, do a lot of work and are out there. But a lot of them hold up in their embassy, sitting in their residence, <clears throat> going to parties. I like parties, but uh, back when we had parties. But, uh, but yeah, most of them are just not visible, doing nothing. Well... Uh, I have my, I have my, hmm, 
<laughs> you know them more because that's why I stay away from, you know, you and other people, you always tell me, come to DC. This is DC is where everything is. I'm like, mm -mm. you know, no, you've told true. me so many times, like come to DC toy. I'll show you around. We will, I'll take you around. You meet so many people. I'm like, mm, not, not now. <laughs> right. Oh, why um, not? Why oh, not? not now? Cause of COVID. No, well, even, even without COVID, John, come oh, on, come so on. So much better than Chicago. Come on. John, here's the deal. I come from the business world where we say you get one point for talking and nine points for doing. I'm not, I'm not like people look for photo ops in terms of who can I take pictures with and put it out there. Like, so, like, so what, right? For me, if you come to call me and say, hey, Toyin, I want to ship XYZ from my country. Can you help me train my small businesses? Can you help me develop? That's what I want. And a lot of them, let me, I don't, I, I, sometimes I like to be diplomatic. Maybe I'll be straight. I'll shoot straight. A lot of them are not ready to do the work. The work it takes, okay, to actually take advantage of trade policies, to actually mobilize the youth, the women, this thing cannot be outsourced to another person to do, which is what a lot of the leaders, they think. So even within the context of Agoa, this is what I try to say, which is my own way of just being funny, but it's true. If somebody brings a food in front of your table, they give you food, they give you fork and knife or spoon, right? You should then learn how to feed yourself. No, people are still like, feed me, do it all for me, right? And that's so you, you're, not, you're talking about American business people. Well, or, no, I'm talking about... <laughs> who, who are you referring I'm to? Talking, I'm talking about a lot of the um, strategic, those that should be playing a strategic leadership role on the continent of Africa, right? Waiting, like a lot of the things they should be doing if they don't have um, donor funds, so foreign aid, I'm moving into the foreign aid versus foreign trade conversation. If they don't have donor support, for those engagement, those the work doesn't get done. Like youth empowerment, women mobilization, capacity building, export development, market integration. These are all things that, that are game changers for economic development. Expecting external people to fund that, that's one of the problems that I've seen, right? When you think about export strategy in the US, Export, baby, export, right? Export, like the more you can open your, your private sector to expand their product distribution to newer markets, which is what AFCFTA has done for Africa to say, don't just sell for Nigeria, sell to Ghana, sell to, um, you know, just, just expand as a private sector, but the work it takes. And I shared um, on January 1 on Al Jazeera that, Small businesses cannot compete on the continent. They need support. They need training. They need mobilization. And all of this work, if the government is not ready to invest in it, then how do you grow your economy? I don't know. Do you know how else do you grow an economy without exports? No, but that uh, these government instruments are, you're exactly right. Uh, something that needs funding and, and a big, on a big scale and uh, support for small, medium-sized businesses to do business in Africa. Uh, yeah, they need a lot of help in that, but uh, yeah, people don't know about it. And you get back to that same old question, but uh, yeah, and then Republicans want to cut a lot of these instruments too. And it's, it's just 
ludicrous. It's just terrifying. So, yeah, things that you know I would want to see. So if you were to say, John, if John, you were to reach out to me and say, hey, let's lobby and let's move more funds. Let's. I'm here, like on the biding, just call on me, I'll come, I'll show up, I'll say my piece, and then I'll walk away. But but the old Washington, D.C., smooching and all that, which is fine, but... Excellent. <laughs> that's your world, John. That's how you grease the diplomacy, is through uh, backslapping and drinks and... So I need to do more of that. Getting to know is people. That saying, John? Well, without... Understanding the political landscape and uh, security landscape, uh, all this talk of trade is like pointless. I mean, I, I get it. So, so let's do this. When COVID is over, maybe I'll make a trip and then we'll do some rounds and you show me around. <laughs> There's nowhere else in the U.S. I would really want to live. I mean, San Francisco is nice, but what would I do there? It's not a foreign policy uh, national security hub. New York would be okay, but this the best place to live in the United States. Um, <laughs> no doubt. Let me, ask you, let me ask you a question now, if I could. Oh, yes. You want to ask so, me a question? Someone here is talking about uh, the currencies in Africa. It's a good question about uh, how can they harmonize trade with 33 different currencies. But what's your take on Bitcoin in Africa? That's really entered my radar of late, and I don't know enough about it. And I'm wondering if you or any of the, the listeners have any insights? I actually know a few people that are leading. It's, it's, it's operational. Let me give you an example. Okay. This is real deal. Um, remember last year when Nigeria had this NSAS crisis, the youth uprising, right? That was in the news. A lot of the banks were clamped down in terms of um, funding the protesters. Well, the youth had to turn to Bitcoin. <laughs> really? <laughs> they were transferring funds in the virtual world that the banks, the central bank could not trace. So it's, it's, it's here. Like many people may not know about it, but when they were pushed to the corner and, you know, banking systems were tracing, oh, you're funding this, you're funding that. Well, they just moved. And I even had someone, just as you and I are engaging, just before we went, like, well, I told him, they just seized my money. I'm going to do X, Y, Z, right? Like, for real. Like, they're like, okay, take that money in the bank. We're moving into virtual. So the young, the youths, they're heavily, heavily moving in that space. So it's real. Um, a lot of the times when you talk about fintech and financial inclusion, financial technology, in a country like US, where a lot of infrastructure already in place, you really have to make a business case for it. But on the continent, you know, like, you know, Kenya is at, is leading when it comes to M-Pesa and financial inclusion, digital tech, all of that. Africa has a ready business case and they're implementing it as we speak um, because there are so, still so many people unbanked that instead of, and this is where, where we talk about leapfrogging, instead of taking them to the bank and then Bitcoin, they're just keeping the banks in, in certain areas right now. So um, it's huge, especially in Nigeria. but. Part of the challenge they have is regulation, right? It's not being regulated yet. Um, I'm also watching what's going on with um, e-commerce, payment systems. One of my friends, um, their companies just got acquired by Stripe for $200 million. And all they do, it's just think about the PayPal of Africa, right? 
they are kind of like the PayPal of Africa and they just got acquired. So things are happening within the digital, digital space. There's already business case for it, but it's the establishment have no idea what's going on. It's really in the hands of the youth. And that's where Africa is at the forefront of this and has the most yes. to gain from these uh, cryptocurrencies. And I just don't know much about it. Uh, yes. You know, I was uh, I was representing uh, Zimbabwe last year. They were my client and I was spent the entire summer there in Zim. And here were these uh, Bitcoin places all over, but I never quite <laughs> understood what they were about. If you walk yeah. in, what do you do? And, yeah. I mean, if you if you want me to put you in touch with some interesting people, they can <laughs> they can tell you more. Um, also about the question on currency, there are some interesting things happening, um, particularly when you think about African Exports Import Bank. They're actually putting in place some systems where you under intra-African trade, you don't have to convert to US dollars anymore. Okay. Because right now, if Kenya wanted to buy something from, say, Ghana. You first had to go purchase USD, right? USD was being used as a common denominator to trade. Well, there's work in place now to eliminate that. And those are the things US is not looking at, yeah? China is also playing some interesting roles um, in terms of making Nigeria the clearinghouse for Chinese yuan on the continent. <laughs> so things are happening, maybe not on the news, but within the financial space people already recognize that to grow into african trade um look at the currency exchange rate for nigeria right now if you want to buy the dollar it's a, it's 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 unreal right so they're trying to find a way where we they don't want to pass through the usd anymore now francophone africa with china uh, france relations they're also scratching their head and trying to figure out how to bypass france because today they're married to france with their financial um systems Things are happening. Um, people are thinking about this. Um, also under the AFCFTA, there's some interesting things embedded inside the AFCFTA that foreigners will be forced. What should I say? Not forced, but you will have to work with an African to benefit from AFCFTA. Um, also, I'm, I'm coming up with some things people don't know. Also, um, intra-African by definition is also inclusive of diaspora. So trade between any diaspora anywhere in the world with the continent is considered intra-African trade. So for example, as I am here, anything I do with the continent, with the African um, Export Import Bank, it's termed intra-African trade, even though I'm not in Africa, but as an African descendant, um, I'm able to participate and benefit in Africa. So there are some nuances and some interesting things. Once you start reading the letter of the law, I'm telling you it's excited it's very exciting to be um, a, um, an African. Um, the African diaspora is considered the fifth region within the African Union. So not only first generation, second generation, but actually African-Americans. So for example, people that may not have been to the continent before, they, they, have, they, are, they are being included. Like they can benefit. And when you think about what Ghana is doing, with the year of the return. Oh, I, I know Ghana has been uh, repatriating, if you will, some, uh, it's not that many only, but about a hundred, I believe, but you know, African-Americans have gone back to the continent to live and they've highlighted that, you know. It's going to grow. I think they, they, they are leading on that topic, 
But when we once we can make an argument for the for the um, economic power, for example, of the African American, and when the leadership of other African countries really understand what that means and how it translates to economic development, you're going to see more of it. <laughs> like Rwanda, come, come, come. Yeah, we'll give you visa. Is that what you want? Come, buy Elsie. So, so I see all of this thing translating to economic development down the line. We're still, you know, when you think about innovation curve, like this is what keeps me excited. I'm very aware of the innovation curve where any new concepts goes through the cycle of, you think about iPhone or, you know, Amazon. When you're really at the first five years of anything, Oh, there's a lot of skepticism. You've, it's not been proven. It hasn't been normalized. And Africa is really at that stage where only people like us, where that you call the early adopters, <laughs> the fanatics, <laughs> yeah. Those are, we are the ones that can see the future. And I think I'm trained for that because five years ago, the systems that we helped support and build, and I was a part of five years ago, for example, at Walmart, it's only now, five years after, that it's now gone mainstream. Okay, so when you think about online groceries, but we started designing it five years ago and just in time. I, think I about, remember. You remember? Yeah. So, so I'm trained for that to see the future. And sometimes you have to build just in time, right? If you're too late, you won't, you won't make it. Look at Zoom, right? You have to build, you have to invest in solutions looking at the future of the world. And those were the things I was, I remember... Five years ago, we used to talk about 2020, not within the context of COVID because we didn't really know about COVID, but we talked about it within the context of Generation Z. Generation Z, they were the digital natives, those who grew up with, the, the only world they knew is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google, like that, those were their world. They don't know any other world outside of the reality of social media, right? And five years ago, we were already saying, hey, for our business, for our work to be relevant to that group, you need to shift digital. Well, COVID came and served as the catalyst to speed it up. So you think about a lot of technology adoption. You see that too in Nigeria with the NSAS movement. In the old world, people could clamp down on newspapers, clamp down on TV stations and put out the propaganda they want. Well, guess what? <laughs> the receipts, people, everybody with a cell phone was a reporter. <laughs> and, and, and that's the world we're going into now. So I'm super excited. Um, in one of my classes, I teach about, I teach um, how digital um, disruption is going to affect Africa, how African leaders can present. You know, I now, I now train policymakers as well in terms of what they need to do to position um, for the future. Because even politics in Africa has been disrupted. Trust me, before, you know, you had to travel in to Africa to make meetings happen, correct? It's still preferred. <laughs> it's still preferred, but sorry, John. It's Zoom. <laughs> no, you're not going to conclude a lobbying uh, contract via Zoom with the Digital African government. You have to go there. Dig digital signature, phone call, <laughs> secure <Yeah>. line. <laughs> I want to travel. I want to travel too, but it's not happening. Have you taken the uh, COVID flu shot? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm okay. I'm trying to be funny now. <laughs> I was supposed to have been back in uh, Africa at a country I will not name uh, in March mm. and couldn't go. So, yeah, it's uh, 
but the lobbying business getting back to that it's uh it's booming right now needless to say mm. and uh you have to travel i mean i i'm, I'm ready to go i haven't had any covid shots but I, i've been flying domestically it hasn't stopped me and uh i'm ready to go i have some interesting things in motion in africa and We'll see where uh, where this, this takes us over the next four years, but uh, yeah, did, did did Ghana ever come through for you? No, I I had a connection there with their finance minister, and it just never. Again, I should probably go to Accra, right? But uh, uh, no, I'm not well, really look, I'm not really looking at it either. But uh, yeah, I, I like Europe. There's some interesting things. I think. Um, AFCFTA. I think you can actually help your people in DC understand it better because I, I don't think, I think, I don't want them to miss the boat. There, there are some in, incredible things happening with AFCFTA where this is a good time for, you know, president-elect and to really extend their um, their goodwill towards the continent. I think that's 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 the first thing that has to happen to, to, to send a clear message to the leadership to say, hey, we see you. We see what you're trying to do. We understand your aspirations, and we would support you on that journey. I mean, that's, well, that's because that's, because trade and development is not my forte. I have people in my stable who work uh, within Prosper Africa, which is the big vehicle for uh, U.S. Africa uh, trade. And uh, a longtime friend of mine is retiring from USAID. End of this month. I think I, I, think I know the person. Yeah. And he's going to be quite helpful in uh, for assisting me in uh, offering USAID abilities because it's a confusing organization <laughs> unless you know it. So, yeah, it's it's people who knows you. It's 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 the same everywhere. Wow, we are seeing more comments. Which one do you want to pick? I'll let you pick. You've done a good job picking today. <laughs> um. Uh, someone was saying something a, a while ago about uh, the cryptocurrencies, but it seems to have yeah. scrolled down. But uh, yeah, I see Ellen saying Bitcoin, virtual mobile banking, and cryptocurrencies will thrive in Africa since Morocco has spearheaded this technology. Um, this is new and not. I'm, I'm seeing LinkedIn invites from people here. Please feel free. I welcome yes. that. Yes. And also, I do have a Twitter feed, uh, Africa-focused, uh, at Latitude90, even yes. though it's North Pole. Well, I, just, I picked that many years ago. Yes, I think I tweeted last week on, on Twitter and I tagged you, letting people know we'll do this. So even after this as well, I'll share more. So, okay, how else can people reach out to you? Twitter, LinkedIn, um, anyway, that's best, it. yeah. Awesome, awesome. Oh, I do have a website. It's uh, very nascent, if you will, uh, theroslandgroup.com. Uh, I think I was talking to you about that. You know, I did it on my own. I'm not tech savvy, and it we is what it is, but uh, feel free. And we're at noon here. I have to yes. keep going through things. Yes, so, yeah, one hour. Yes, yeah, so. Thank you, and thank everyone for tuning in. This is, uh, I enjoyed the comments, and. Aww. Always good to be with you. Oh, yeah. no, thank you, John. I'll let you go shortly. Um, so we're going to make this video available. Um, do you still write? Where can they find you, your writings? Um, aside from the tweeting, no, I'm not doing much in terms of writing anymore. Uh, 
Yeah. But you can find some old writings. I know you've you've um, quoted me before, but thank you. Thank you, John, for being a friend, for being somebody that can always guide me and say, no, Toy, this is what you need to do. And yeah. I look forward to visiting you in D.C. What did you say? Yeah, you got to come to Washington. Okay. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to let you go now, but then I'm going to announce our next speaker. So thank you, John. Say your do you want to say bye to everyone? Bye, right, bye, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, John. Good comments. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Bye, bye. <laughs> wow, John was amazing. Um, you, thank you, everyone, for joining. Um, before we go, I want to announce um, next week's speaker. Same time next Tuesday um, is Professor Joseph. Mbele is going to be my guest next week and he wrote this book. This is a book he already sent to me. It's called Africans and Americans Embracing Cultural Differences and why I think it's so important for this conversation. And this is the back. Um, I think you can see. So that's he's going to be my guest um, next week. I think it's going to be important as we talk about diplom diplomacy and also trade for private sectors looking to engage on the continent. I think, especially here in the US, it's important to understand what are the cultural differences? What, what are the nuances? What are the expectations? I mean, when you do trade with China, it's always important to understand the cultural differences as well. So I'm looking forward to next week. Um, I see a whole lot more questions, which I'll try to respond to um, typing. Feel free to reach out. Um, our email is info, I-N-F-O at nezaru.com. Do check us out at Nazaru. It's been a great pleasure. I also want to um, just say thank you to our sponsors. I'll play a video now. If, if you're looking to sponsor or, or, or also feature your brand through advertisement, please do reach out to us as well. But I want to say thank you to African Export Import Bank um, for being one of our partners in promoting the Intra-African Trade Fair. Uh, we, we help promote that as well. So I'll play a video now and then come back and to, to wrap up. Join Africa's largest trade and investment fair in Rwanda. Intra-African Trade Fair gives you access to more than 1,100 exhibitors, 10,000 visitors and buyers, and more than 5,000 conference delegates from more than 55 countries. Participate in trade and investment deals worth 40 billion US dollars as business and government come together to explore business and networking opportunities at the International Exhibition, brought to you by the African Export-Import Bank and their premium partners. The IATF 2021, Transforming Africa. Thank you again for being such a, a delightful um, guest and, and viewing us today. Please do subscribe to our YouTube channel where we always house um, past editions um, as well. You can click on the bell on YouTube so that you can be notified the next time we go live. Thank you again. It has been a huge pleasure. My name is Toyin Yumesiri. I'm the CEO of Nazaru. And um, I want to wish you a happy new year as well and stay blessed. Do follow us and um, see all the various programs we have to support you when it comes to your trade with Africa goals. Um, I, I do personal coaching, group coaching. Um, I also take on clients that want to expand um, their um, African um, trade and investment goals as well. Okay. Thank you so much. Again, it's been a pleasure and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Bye.